good morning, and happy Father's Day to all the dads. I know you just sat down, but I, I, this week as I was praying I, um, and preparing, I felt that there was a very specific prayer. I'm supposed to pray for dads. So dads, could we have you stand up one more time? If you're a father, if you, I would love to have you stand, and let me pray this very specific prayer over you men. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am not aware of a time in history, in the history of our world, when the vital calling of Father has been more mocked or diminished or marginalized like it is in Western culture today. May you inspire and empower each of these fathers to live out their calling with passion and with purpose. And may we as fathers be guided by the inspiration of your word. May we be fueled by the power of your Holy Spirit to become the dads that you created us to be. And may we as brothers in Christ sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. This we pray in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, men, for doing that. And let me know, too, we, we really want to hear, um, I, I've been sensing that this is a topic, fatherhood, one that we'll need to talk about and look at the scriptures about. So if you're sensing that, too, let me know, because that does play into how we uh, formulate and choose our messages. We try to really listen to the Spirit. We try to listen to, to what God's saying to you and to us. In fact, that's how this series came about. Last year, we asked, uh, we did a survey, and we said, tell us, what are the things that you want us most to teach on? And we got all kinds of responses. But the one, and it surprised me, the one that you wanted to talk about the most were the end times. And I'll confess, that wasn't on my radar as I was looking into 20, uh, 2015 as one of the topics I thought we should take on. It is this series that we're starting today is in a series about an event that is coming. It's the return of the king. You know, say what you will about Jesus of Nazareth, but there is no denying that his first advent, his first coming, it changed history. It absolutely did. And you can change the letters, you can challenge the precision of the dates, but the original intent behind the A.D.B.C. timeline, the original intent was to mark every other event in history up and against the birth of Jesus Christ, the first coming of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, after catching the world by surprise with his birth, Jesus caught his disciples by surprise when he said, I'm coming back. Jesus said that. I'm coming back. Well, please take a moment to write this down in your notes. We're going to be diving right in. We've got so much to cover here today. I encourage you to write this down. The one whose birth among us divided history promised that a second timeline-altering event is coming. The one whose birth was foretold by prophets, the one who predicted his own death and resurrection, the one who demonstrated authority over nature and disease and demonic spirits and death itself said, I'm coming back. So once again, I want to thank those of you who said, yeah, let's talk about this this year. I want to thank you because I wouldn't have been looking at these scriptures otherwise, and we wouldn't have been. And as I have been, there's something coming alive in me that is, is responding to these texts. I'm coming away with a revived sense of urgency about the importance of living with purpose. It is so easy for us. We'll talk about this in just a couple minutes. It's so easy as for, for most of us living where we live. It's so easy as for us to, what the Bible says, fall asleep. And I'm feeling revived with this sense of purpose because Jesus is coming back, and he is coming back on a day and an hour that will catch us by surprise. Well, for this series, we could have drawn from all kinds of material. We could have drawn from 
books and movies and, and all these things, podcasts. But for a series like this, what I want to do is let's go back to the source material. Let's go back to what the scripture itself says. Let's not comment on the commentary. Let's go to the scriptures and take a look at what the Bible says about this time that's coming. So what we're going to do this week and in the three weeks that follow is we're going to look at what some of the founders of the Jesus movement taught about the end times. All of the starting point for all of our source material is going to come from the first century, from the beginning of the Jesus movement. This week, we're going to look at some of the teachings of Jesus himself. Next week, Brandon's going to guide us through the teachings of Paul. And in the last two weeks of the series, we're going to explore the letters of a disciple named John and this revelation that he received. So that's where we're going. And if you've never examined these scriptures, I hope at the end of four weeks, you at least get a good overview to say, here is some of what the Bible says about the end times. And if you are already familiar with those texts, like I was, I hope we come away with this renewed sense of there's a day that's coming and what Jesus said about that day and how we prepare for it. Now, every Sunday of this series, there will be so much that is left on the cutting room floor. There is so much more just from the Bible itself that we could teach that we won't have time for. So what I'm going to try to do, what we're going to try to do is to also point you to some other directions to dig deeper. We only have a limited amount of time, and, and we do the best we can to make the most of it, but we want to point you for other directions where you can go deeper on your own. So inside your notes this week, I included a blue insert, and it's got some, some, some stuff in there. Um, at the bottom, there are th here are three places that you can go in the Bible to look at extended passages from Jesus, what he had to say. So I wrote those down there. I've got some recommended resources. If you have these four resources at home, it is going to be a great starting point. I listed two different study Bibles because they're going to have different takes on, on what these texts mean. I have what's called Concise Theology by J.I. Packer. It's just a great little book. It's only this thick where he takes on some of these big themes and does a good job from a slightly different perspective of those other two resources I gave you. And then I put a dictionary of theological terms. It's not a huge one. It's a thin one. But you're going to come across words like eschatology and some of these other words, and if you're not sure what they mean, and I have to do refreshers, um, there's, a, there's a resource you can use. So those four simple resources would be great ones to have on home for this and other series. And I put a couple definitions that come out of some of those resources. You can kind of get a sample of how they may be helpful. All right, so there's some more information. Um, this series, again, is just a jumping off point. We, we only have so much time, and we'll do the best we can. And I think the best thing I can do today, because today we're going to look at what Jesus said, I'm going to let Jesus do most of the talking today, if that's all right with you. We're actually going to read all of chapter 24 and summarize chapter 25 in about 25 minutes. Here we go. Ready? All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up Matthew 24, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, we want to let you know we'd love to give you one of those free today. We keep a stack at this table here. At the table in the back, we'd love for you to grab one. Here we go. Chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple, and he was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But Jesus answered them, you see these things? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left upon another that won't be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? All right, here's the chapter. It opens like this. It opens with the disciples. They're marveling at the temple buildings in Jerusalem. That's what was going on there in that opening verse, which would have been the most amazing 
buildings they would have ever seen. And then the scene shifts suddenly to the Mount of Olives, which was just outside the city, where now they could take in this breathtaking view of the temple and the temple grounds. That's the setting where the disciples ask what most commentators point out are two questions. They may think it's one question, but it's really two distinct questions. Question number one, when will these things be? And two, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Again, the disciples might have been thinking, hey, both of these things are happening at the same time. That was the conventional wisdom of the day, as best we can piece it together. As best we can piece together at the time, in that time, at that place, most people were thinking there was a day coming that the prophets told of. That's why you have the Bible up there. It's symbolizing all of these prophetic words that God had given to his people that there is going to be a day, a day of the Lord, it's referred to in the Old Testament. This day is coming. So we've got that. So they thought the day's coming. And then also on the altar here, I have a crown and a sword. And they thought when that day comes, the Messiah will come and he will take that sword. He will, he will bring about judgment over all of the enemies of God. And then he will rule. That's the crown. He will rule. And they thought this is all going to happen all at once. When the day of the Lord comes, Messiah comes, makes all things right. Okay, so that's the framework. But the answers that you're going to see unfolding here through Jesus himself and through others, it, it's not that simple. And that's why we have other objects on this table. We've got an hourglass. We have a dragon. We have a cross. And before the series is over, we're going to talk about all six of these objects and how all of them may play into the second coming. Well, for now, let's go back to our text, picking up with verse 4. Jesus answered them after they asked these questions of when is this going to happen and all that. He says this. Listen, listen to the first things out of his mouth. He says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the what? What does he say? Birth pains. Well, the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, see that no one leads you astray. And when it comes to the second coming, there is no shortage of misleading speculation. If you did any travel in the Bible Belt a couple years ago, you might have seen these Billboards. I remember seeing them. I go down to, to El Paso every year a couple times to, to go to see my friends in Juarez. And I remember seeing these billboards saying, Judgment Day is May 21st, 2011. Anyone see any of these billboards around? Right? They, they were huge, right? All right. Well, did Jesus come back four years ago? No. And this is one of the reasons why we're sticking close, as close as we can in this series to the source material. One of the reasons we're going to do the best we can to, to write out different scriptures where you can look for yourself and read these texts. And don't just read a couple of them because that's how this happens. People take a couple of the passages, lock into those, ignore or marginalize the others. And then they form all these theories. We want to give you as much as we can so you can have a better scope of the full revelation of God as it appears in the scriptures. The further removed you get from the Bible itself, the further you move into speculation. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to what? What's the word? Tribulation. They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Well, here Jesus uses the word tribulation. Will Christians experience tribulation? The answer is yes and. The answer is yes and. Christians have been experiencing tribulation for 2,000 years. Horrific tribulation all over the world. But here's why I said yes and. Because earlier Jesus used that metaphor. This is Jesus' metaphor of birth pains. Jesus uses that metaphor, so he knows. He knows what this is, birth pains. He uses the the metaphor birth pains to describe what's to come. As the day of the second coming draws near, it appears as though the frequency and intensity and duration of these tribulations will increase. And even as they do, the faithful will continue to proclaim the good news. Did you see that in here? In the face of this, the, the, the faithful will continue to proclaim this good news until... Every nation, every tongue, tribe, and nation hears it. Wow. Let's keep reading. Picking up with verse 21. Or verse 14, I think. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go back to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as the world has not known from the beginning until now, and and it never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, here's an example of a prophecy that came to pass already, at least in part. Remember, Jesus said the temple would be thrown down. That's how this whole thing started. He says these, the temple's going to be thrown down. These stones are going to be thrown down. And they were, AD 70. Just look it up in the history books. Rome came in, destroyed, laid siege to the city, destroyed the city, including the temple. And most of the inhabitants of the city were slaughtered. But here's something that's interesting. There were some who escaped. And you know why they escaped? Because they listened to what Jesus said. They listened to what Jesus said. There are early historians that reported that there were Christians who were saved because they believed Jesus' words. They saw the signs that were happening right around Jerusalem in that area of Judea, just as Jesus said. They saw those signs. They literally fled to the mountains. And one of those disciples who saw the signs literally fled to the mountains was a disciple of Jesus named John who wrote the book of Revelation. This is all so tied together. Then, picking up verse 23, then if anyone says to you, anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ. False prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Now, we could spend the rest of the series on this passage right here, couldn't we? This is so loaded. Here Jesus mentions false Christ, 
False prophets. We're going to touch on those in the week ahead. Jesus also refers to false signs and wonders. We'll touch on those as much as we can if we have time. Jesus refers to the elect, which raises a host of questions revolving predestination and choice and whether a person can gain salvation or lose salvation. There's a lot here. But for the sake of time, the the phrase I want to draw our attention to right now that may be as important a second coming verse as any in the scriptures is the one where Jesus said, see, I've told you beforehand. That's good news. I encourage you to write this down. Jesus has revealed how history will end. He's telling us straight up. Here's how it's going to end. Here's how history is going to end. And he also tells us, here's how you prepare for it. We're about to hear how to prepare for it. He's going to tell us. Jesus is going to tell us. Not some cult leader. Jesus is going to tell us right now. We're going to read through this. He's got a little more he wants to tell about the event itself. Then he's going to tell us, how do you prepare for this? All right? So first, let's talk about that little bit that he says, more about the event itself. Then we're going to show you what he says about preparing for it. Verse 26. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus makes it clear, when he returns, you'll know. He didn't come on a, whatever it was, the 2011 on the billboards. Because if he would have, we would know. Jesus himself says, it's going to be like lightning. It will be sudden. It will be visible. It will be unmistakable. And that last image, this is one of the reasons we have the kids out of here, you know? That last image involving corpses and vultures is particularly chilling if you've read the book of Revelation. Because some of the imagery in the book of Revelation that was revealed to John is this. John had a vision of the end times where there is blood flowing from a giant wine press of judgment. And the blood is about neck deep for 180 miles. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Picking up verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven, the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, for they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the earth to the other. When he comes back, it's going to be dramatic. It's going to be undeniable. And every day is a day closer. Picking up with verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things, you know that he's near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. And then verse 36, another one of those that's so central. But concerning that day and hour, who knows? No one knows. 
not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Please write this down. The day and the hour will catch us by surprise. Even if we're waiting, even if we're waiting expectantly, that day, that hour is still going to catch us by surprise. Will we be able to predict the day or hour of Christ's return? No, 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 we won't. And I, I was reading some of the people that put out those billboards, the, the gymnastics that they have to do to say why they know the day and the hour. It's just unbelievable. So I would encourage you to write this down too. I, I'm so perplexed as to why people devote so much time to trying to figure this out. Don't let speculation about the second coming distract you from the scripture's explicit teaching. Why would you ignore the stuff that Jesus just says to spend time on the speculation? I just don't understand that. I know I'm an activist, but I am completely baffled how, why so many people devote so much time trying to answer questions. And even if you answer them, it's your best guess. It's your best guess, even if you've got an answer. Why spend so much time on that if you're going to be ignoring the explicit teaching, the stuff Jesus says, here's how you prepare, and now we're there. Now we're to that part of the scripture. Well, yeah, we are, because he's now he's going he's gonna to talk about some, some parables. And he's going to say some stuff about how to live. And we see it now as we continue reading verse 7. 37, for as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware the flood came. It swept them away. So it will be with the sun, coming of the Son of Man. I officiated Adam and Jackie's wedding yesterday. And there's going to be couples who've been preparing for that day, right? There are couples that are getting ready to walk down the aisle when the sound of the trumpet is going to interrupt Canon and D. And that day is, is either going to be the best day of their life or the worst, depending on how they respond to what Jesus says. Two men will be at the field, verse 40. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, what does he say? Stay awake. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Again, one of the reasons I'm so glad that so many of you asked for this series is that it is so easy to fall asleep spiritually. I've got a backyard that is going to be a labor of love for a long time. I've got a house. It's going to be a labor of love for a long time. I've got a front yard. It's going to be a labor of love for a long time. It's so easy to fall asleep. You get pulled into trying to fix all that stuff. Summer, so easy to fall asleep because you've got all these things that are pulling you on top of the normal things that are pulling us, right? There's... Exactly. There's vacations, there's cabins, there's all these sporting events, there's all this stuff that pulls us in to spiritually falling asleep. And we forget why we're on this planet right now for the first place. If you have a red letter Bible, they have these Bibles called red letter Bibles where the words of Jesus are in red. What color are the words stay awake in a red letter Bible? Red. I took a note. And I, a note card, and I wrote in red, stay awake, and I posted it right above where my computer is, because I need this. It is so easy to fall asleep. When your day comes, will you be wide awake? Will you be wide awake? Rick is going to be wide awake. That's great to hear. Will you be doing the things that Jesus taught us to do? I have been in so many situations where here are these people. They're looking at the book of Revelations. They're debating, what is, is this Gog and Magog or is that Gog and Magog? Who cares what's Gog and Magog, right? 
Exactly. What's going to matter is, are you awake? Not are you debating and speculating. Are you awake? Are you living as Christ called us to live? Here are explicit teachings of Jesus. Here's, here's parables. He gives us parables, picking up with verse 43. But know this. This is Jesus talking. If the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed what? He would have stayed awake. He would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants, he eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. That's red letter stuff. That's Jesus saying these words. We don't normally, a lot of us, we don't hear Jesus talking like this. In that place, there will be weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth. This is where verse, chapter 24 ends. This is where chapter 24 ends. And if I could, if I could, I'd assign 25 as homework. Because what happens in 25 are these, these two more parable, parables, two more parables the last time, end times, and then Jesus straight up says, when I come back, it's going to be like this. That's what happens in 25. So, so if I would, I'd, I'd assign it as homework. But let me quickly summarize. The first of the two parables in chapter 25 are about t 10 young maidens. And the backdrop is a wedding. God keeps coming back to this wedding metaphor. Um, five young maidens were foolish and they weren't prepared. Five were wise and they were ready. The wise were welcomed into the marriage feast. The foolish were shut out. And Jesus concludes that parable with these words. These are red letter words. Watch, therefore, for you don't know the day or the hour. Another parable follows this. So again, this is Jesus teaching us how do you prepare. Well, one there is watch, therefore. Here's another parable teaching us how to prepare. This time, in this parable, a man is going on a journey, and he calls his servants and entrusts them with his property. He gives five talents to one. He gives two talents to the second and one talent to the third. Well, the first servant invests the five talents that were given him, and he doubles the investment. The second does the same, but the third hides the talent in the ground. The first two are rewarded, but here's what the master says to that third servant. What color would these words be? Red. These would be red words. He says to the servant who was given a talent, and didn't do anything with it that benefited the master's cause, Jesus says, cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Immediately after these two parables, Jesus says straight up, when I come back, it's going to go down like this. 
And he says, here's what's going to happen to those who don't love the least. And what he means by that is those who don't feed the hungry or clothe the naked or welcome strangers or visit the sick or those who are in prison. And you can make a case in this case that he's talking about brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. May or may not be, but you can make that case. He says, here's what's going to happen when I come back. Those who don't care for the least of these will go away where? To what? eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Remember, these are the words of Jesus himself. These are red letter words. This is explicit teaching from Jesus himself regarding how do we prepare for his second coming. There's a place to write this sum- summary of, in, in, uh, chap- of chapter 25 in your notes. I encourage you to write this down. Then I, oh, I encourage you to go and, and read chapter 25. Jesus explicitly instructs his disciples to do these three things, to keep watch, to steward God's talents, and to love the least. May I offer for your consideration that we do not prepare for the end times by building bunkers in a Montana wilderness and stocking up on tuna and freeze-dried peas. May I present to you Nor does Jesus teach us, if we're preparing for the end times, to invest the limited time we have engaging in unfruitful speculation. May I present to you that Jesus himself taught us, if you're going to prepare for the second coming, which we better do, we do so by keeping watch, by stewarding God's talents, and by loving the least. A day is coming. And Jesus himself testifies to it. There is a day coming when thorns and weeds and dandelions and creeping Charlie will be no more. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. A day is coming when soccer games for your kids won't be scheduled at the same time, on the same night across town. Can I get an amen? Amen. More significantly... A day is coming when addiction and disease will be no more. Can I get an amen? Amen. And a day is coming when pain and stress-filled sleepless nights will be no more. Can I get an amen? Amen. There will be a day when wars will cease, natural disasters will end, racism, discrimination, violence will be eradicated. Can I get an amen? Amen. And a day is coming from this week. A day is coming when kids will be safe in the ocean and no one will pull out a gun in a Bible study. Can I get an amen? amen? That day is coming. And Jesus said, let's be awake for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing what's coming and how we prepare for it. May your spirit descend upon us right now. Convict us where conviction is needed. Inspire us where inspiration is needed. Affirm, Father. Affirm these brothers and sisters who are living this out. Whatever is needed, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend and meet those needs. Lord, I also pray that you'd bring us into these texts. I pray that this week you would inspire us to go back and look at these things that you have said. 
And Lord, I pray throughout this series as we look at what Paul said and what John said, that we're going to hear your Holy Spirit speaking through those Spirit-inspired words to us, that we may be a people who are watching and ready. So when that day comes, whether in our lifetime or a lifetime in the future, whenever we're meeting you, we can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.